The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Hello, uh, I'd like to uh, provide a warm welcome to everyone who's here with us in the chambers tonight and call this business meeting of the Kalamazoo City Commission to order for February 6th, 2023. Our first order of business is the roll call, Clerk Burling. Commissioner Decker. Commissioner Hess. Present. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. Present. Commissioner Pradle. Present. Vice Mayor Cooney. Present. Mayor Anderson. Here. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, may I have a motion to excuse Commissioner Decker this evening? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Hess. Support. Supported by Vice Mayor Cooney. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. Motion passes. So uh, we are honored tonight for our opening ceremony. Actually have uh, two individuals show up who are prepared. Thank you, Rabbi, for uh, attending with us and sticking around. But we, uh, the invocation tonight will be provided by Daniel Storer, who I've said the right, from the Western Theological Seminary. So uh, we will have the invocation. And uh, after that, we'll have the Pledge of Allegiance. So I'd ask everybody to stand for that.
Good evening, my name is Dan Storr. I'm proud to say that I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. On this cold, dark winter's night, for a moment I found it appropriate to talk about light. Because in the place in which we live, in the time in which we live, it's wintertime and we feel the effects of the lack of sunlight in our lives. Our body craves light the same way our soul and our spirit create, craves light. The beautiful thing about us is that we are created in God's image and we have the opportunity to be a light for those around us. And before I say a prayer, I will share words from an individual by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that said what I just said a probably better than I did. MLK said it like this, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So friends, if I could ask, let your light shine before others and give that glory to God. Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for these willing leaders to lead Kalamazoo. I pray that you be with their minds, be with their choices, be with their words, be with their actions so they can be a light for those around them, be a light for their family, be a light for the people that live here in Kalamazoo. Dear God, may you bless us, may you keep us, may your light shine upon us now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Once again, thank you very much for uh, getting us started on the right note here this evening. I appreciate, I appreciate your words. We have a proclamation this evening, and uh, Commissioner Pradle is going to be reading it. It's for National 211 Day, which uh, coincidentally is on 211 or February 11th. So uh, we have some folks here. Uh, from Griffin, who will be uh, accepting the proclamation, and I will come down and Commissioner Prado will read it. So please come forward. All right, good evening, everyone, and uh, National 2 on 1 Day is uh, this Saturday. Whereas every hour of every day, someone in the United States needs essential services from human needs to securing adequate care for children or an aging parent, and whereas 211 is the national abbreviated dialing code for free access to health and human service information and referrals, volunteer opportunities, and improving the way in which people learn about and connect with services they need. And whereas Griffin Place, a nonprofit organization established in 1970, provides 211 services via a 24 7, 365 day a day or a year call center accessible to everyone. Calls are confidential and answered with respect, empathy, and compassion. And whereas Griffin Place serves the Kalamazoo community through a variety of programs and services, including 988 suicide prevention and crisis support services, restorative practices, 211 information and referral services, youth services, and numerous community initiatives, 
And whereas Griffin Place 211 is a leader in suicide prevention in the area, Griffin Place staff are expertly trained in suicide prevention and are fully certified by the American Association of Suicidology. And whereas Griffin Place 211 online database provides information and the right connections with 800 agencies and over 2,600 programs, over 149,000 contacts are handled annually through 211 service connections. And whereas 211 serves as a support system for emergency management to help disseminate critical information, assist people through disasters, and provide a long-term connection to relief and recovery services. Now, therefore, I, Commissioner Chris Pradle, on behalf of the 54th City Commission and Mayor David F. Anderson of the City of Kalamazoo, do proclaim February 11th, 2023 to be National 211 Day in Kalamazoo and commend Griffin Place and their volunteers for their continued commitment to the Kalamazoo region. your support oh thank you all for your support um i know we always can count on you to be our champions and our ambassadors and letting our community know how they can access services through 211 so just very thankful for all of the support and hoping you will continue to spread the word and let everybody know that we're here to help thank you I just want to thank you, Commissioner Pradle, and uh, I just want to say, as a person who works at Integrated Services of Kalamazoo, we are intimately connected with the work that Griffin does and 2-in-1. It is uh, really a foundational component of the services that are provided here in Kalamazoo. So thank you once again. Uh, now we are down uh, on our agenda for the adoption, the formal agenda. Uh, any, anything from commissioners? As far as changing, want to move anything? How about Manager Rissman? Thank you, Your Honor. Item G6, which is approval of a contract with pavement maintenance systems for the 2023 local streets chip and cape seal project. Uh, the motion is correct, but the initial online memo had the wrong amount listed for the Fraternity Village Drive part of this project. The current correct amount is $50,800. Uh, the online memo has been updated. Thank you, Manager Ritzman. Now is the opportunity for anyone in the audience who would like to move something from the consent agenda to the regular agenda. Is there anyone in the audience who would like to have an item moved? Yes. Item 11-3, the Brownfield plan for 203 North Rose. Right. So been a request to move uh, from the consent agenda Item G11 to the regular agenda, which is H. Thank you. Any, anyone else? All right, seeing no one, uh, now Manager Risma, communications. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, so every couple of years, the city con uh, conducts a community survey, and we're pleased to have uh, Joseph Del Olio from Polco. Uh, here to present this year's uh, community survey. 
So, Joseph. Thank you, welcome. Mayor and members of the commission, uh, good evening. Uh, thank you for having me in uh, this evening, especially in person. It's always a pleasure to be able to do these face-to-face uh, -face, uh, coming from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, but I do want to preface that I am not a Packers fan. Um, <laughs> grew up in Western New York. I'm a, a Bills fan, so trust me, Commissioner Juarez, I uh, <laughs> no, no conflict of interest there. Um, but jumping into things, uh, again, my name is Joe Delolio. Uh, I'm a senior s survey associate at Polco NRC. Uh, and before jumping in, I, I do just want to, to thank my colleague, Grace Arneson, who was the project manager from the, the Polco side of things. So thanks, Grace, uh, for uh, running the survey for us this year. And before jumping in, a little bit about us, um, National Research Center, NRC, We've been the premier provider of uh, survey services to local government for the past 25 years. Uh, our founders actually wrote the book on these types of surveys, and we've recently uncovered a few in the office, so looking forward to that rainy day material. Uh, in 2019, we merged with Polco, an online civic engagement platform to better service the jurisdictions um, that we work with and, and the residents that, that live in those communities. And there are a variety of ways that the information on uh, these surveys can be used. Uh, most commonly uh, used to measure both uh, government performance as well as resident opinion over time, um, uh, as well as, um, oops, excuse me, lost my spot here. <laughs> uh, dig deeper into these areas over time, we're able to uh, trend this information. And the NCS, or the National Community Survey, is based off of what we refer to as the 10 facets of community livability. Uh, these are the 10 main areas uh, deemed by survey researchers as those being most vital to creating high quality communities that folks want to live in. Uh, so the presentation, as well as the report and large center around these 10 facets, uh, we also do find that they uh, work very nicely into different departments. So when the department heads are looking for uh, information most pertinent to them, they can flip to that section of the report. And this is the sixth time that Kalamazoo has run the NCS. Most recently, prior to 2022, was 2021. Uh, and this iteration of the survey effort was conducted between uh, early October and late November of 2022. And we employed a probability-based sample of 2,800 households. To build out this sample, uh, all addresses within Kalamazoo were eligible uh, to be participants in this survey. Uh, we get all of those addresses from the USPS, and then from there, using the most up-to-date municipal boundaries provided by the city, uh, we actually geocode those addresses to make sure that those that are on, on those boundaries or outside of those boundaries aren't included uh, in that sample overall. From there, once we know that we're looking at households only within Kalamazoo, we selected 2,800 randomly. Uh, and so every address had the same probability of selection as well as a known probability of selection. Uh, from there, each address received two points of contact, first being a pre-notification postcard, letting them know that the, the survey was being conducted, uh, giving them a little bit of background information, uh, as well as inviting them to respond online or wait for the physical survey packet, which was mailed out a week later. 
and in that physical survey packet, folks received an introduction letter, um, the physical survey, as well as postage paid return envelope. And we do include a link uh, in that material. So yeah, anybody, that, everybody that received the survey had the ability to respond both online uh, as well as the physical version of the survey. And of the households that received it, uh, we got back 306 total responses, which res uh, correlates to about a 12% overall response rate um, at a plus or minus 6% margin of error. And I do wanna say that this falls right in line with what we would expect. Um, we see usually around an eight to 18% response rate, on average right around 15%. Uh, and we shoot for between that six and 4% margin of error. So that 12% at um, response rate, plus or minus 6% margin of error, right in the range that we would expect. Uh, and I do wanna note as well that uh, all of our responses are statistically weighted uh, to make sure that we're getting a good uh, reflection of the demographic groups of Kalamazoo overall. So while we do that randomization on the friend and front end of things, uh, we also ask uh, questions uh, asking folks about uh, how they identify, uh, and then we compare that to uh, the U.S. Census, and then we can consider some responses more than others to make sure that we're getting a good representative group, uh, view into how Kalamazoo is built as a whole. And one of the, the biggest advantages that local government have in participating in the NCS is the opportunity to compare ratings given by your real residents to, to residents given in other communities with our benchmarking database. Uh, we found that um, there are certain areas uh, that tend to get higher uh, ratings overall, let's say fire services, compared to some areas such as street-related re street services that generally get lower. So instead of comparing fire services and street services, we can compare fire services in Kalamazoo to fire services in, say, Battle Creek or many other communities across the nation, and again, street-related services to those in Battle Creek and other communities across the nation. Now, along with these national uh, benchmarks, uh, we did also, with Kalamazoo, do uh, a peer or a custom benchmark. Uh, and those included uh, communities between 50,000 and 100,000 in population with a medium income between 30,000 and $50,000. Going into an overview of the survey results, we do ask two questions directly related to those 10 facets of community livability. Uh, the first of which ask, asks folks to rate the overall quality of these 10 facets. And you can see the, the basic layout of the report with uh, trend lines, with past year ratings, uh, as well as uh, the most recent year rating and comparison to the national benchmark. And along with the quality ratings, we do also ask folks to place an importance level on these 10 facets of community livability. Uh, and together, we compare those ratings to create what I think is an, an aptly named uh, quality importance matrix. Uh, and I do want to point out that bottom right quadrant. Um, we use this chart to, to help influence key findings and help uh, the community determine uh, certain areas that may need additional focus. Uh, and that bottom right quadrant is, is really uh, the one that we look to the most. Uh, in that quadrant, we see areas that are, relatively speaking, um, higher in importance and, and lower in quality. Uh, and so these are uh, those that uh, have been identified uh, as those potentially um, deserving of additional focus. 
And before jumping into the key findings overall, I do want to point out that there uh, are a number of highlights to be gleaned from this information. This is what stood out to us as survey researchers. Uh, and you being the experts in Kalamazoo, I'm sure there are many, many other uh, highlights to be gleaned from this data. But that being said, the, the first key finding that we found is that Kalamazoo residents feel a strong sense of community. Uh, and many ratings for survey items related to inclusivity were on the rise since 2021. Roughly two-thirds offered excellent or good ratings uh, to the job that the city does at attracting folks from diverse backgrounds, uh, which was a 9% increase since 2021. And about six in 10 positively reviewed uh, the job that the city does at making all residents feel welcome, uh, as well as valuing and respecting folks from um, diverse backgrounds. A similar proportion uh, also felt positively about the openness and acceptance of community towards folks of diverse backgrounds, which was also an 8% increase from 2021. And we see strong ratings also with uh, the ability to participate in social events and activities, as well as opportunities to participate in community matters. Our second key finding, uh, economy is a priority for residents, uh, and participants show concern about general affordability uh, as well as their own personal economic outlook. And residents offered high ratings uh, of importance, uh, about 90% essential um, or very important, uh, and relatively lower ratings of the quality, uh, around 40% to uh, Kalamazoo's overall economic health, suggesting that this facet uh, may be an important area of focus over the next few years. Uh, this being said, around 7 in 10 evaluated both the overall quality of business and service establishments as well as the variety of businesses and services uh, in Kalamazoo is excellent or good. We also did see strong ratings for shopping opportunities and around half of residents approved of the vibrancy of uh, the downtown and commercial area. And while most ratings were related to the economy, were on par with national and peer averages, results indicated that uh, the need for potential attention to this area, particularly regarding general affordability. Uh, the cost of living was rated positively by about four in 10 residents, uh, while about one quarter gave favorable ratings to the availability of affordable quality housing, uh, both of which were on par with national and peer counterparts. Um, Along with this, uh, when asked what impact uh, folks thought the economy would have on their family income the next six months, about 15% anticipated that it would be uh, a positive impact. Uh, and before moving on to the next uh, facet, or the next key finding, I do wanna note that both general affordability uh, as well as economic outlook, these trends are similar to those we've seen, um, especially in the last six months in communities across the nation. Um, kind of these declining thoughts towards uh, general economic outlook as well as general affordability. But jumping into our third key finding, residents generally feel safe in the city uh, and do continue to prioritize uh, safety within the community. And a majority of participants reported feeling safe in their neighborhood during the day uh, as well as in Kalamazoo's downtown and commercial areas uh, during the day. Uh, right around the 8 and 10 and 7 and 10 marks. Uh, even so, residents do continue to prioritize safety, uh, with nearly all respondents deeming it an important area of focus for the city in the coming next two years. Along with that, about half reported feeling safe from both violent and property crime, uh, which were lower than the benchmarks. 
Along with this, uh, there were strong ratings for safety-related services within the city. Uh, about nine in 10 praised fire services, while uh, very strong ratings existed as well for fire prevention and education, as well as ambulance and emergency medical services. Uh, around six in 10 also felt strongly toward animal control and police services. And I do wanna note as well that fire services and fire prevention and education uh, both experienced significant increases from the 2021 survey. And our fourth key finding, community members place high value on opportunities for education, arts, and culture in the city. Nearly three quarters applauded the overall opportunities for education, uh, culture, and the arts. A very strong majority, around eight in 10, praised um, community support for the arts, uh, showcasing a 10% increase from 2021 and outperforming both national and peer benchmarks. Uh, while about seven to 10 gave excellent or good ratings to opportunities to attend uh, culture, cultural arts and music activities, which was also higher than the national average. Uh, and again, a similar proportion offered high marks to uh, opportunities to append, uh, attend special events and festivals, which again uh, increased uh, by about 10% from the, the previous survey iteration. Apologies, I got a little bit ahead on my clicker. Um, but that brings us to uh, some education ratings, um, which were, uh, on a whole, tended to be slightly lower uh, than uh, benchmarks, indicating opportunity for growth. Uh, this included uh, adult education opportunities, uh, as well as K through 12, and the availability of um, affordable quality childcare and preschool. And this brings us to uh, some of those comparisons to the benchmarks overall. Uh, of the 123 items that were available to be compared to the national benchmarks, uh, a vast majority of the items in Kalamazoo were similar to those. Uh, 76 were similar, two were higher, while 45 were lower than the, the national benchmarks. And then moving to those peer comparisons, uh, again, we see uh, a very, very large number being similar uh, to those benchmarks. One more positive, 13 more negative. Uh, and I do wanna note that with this, um, being similar to the benchmark is a very good thing. Um, inherently, the communities that run uh, the NCS are truly high-performing communities. So uh, thinking about these benchmarks, it's not necessarily comparing us to uh, all of the communities with the country, but generally other high-performing communities. Um, so. Um, it makes sense and uh, we, we do like to see those uh, similar ratings. And it is also important to contextualize uh, these ratings uh, in Kalamazoo specifically. Uh, and so looking at these trends over time compared to 2021, uh, we had uh, 83 similar to the, the previous iteration, 13 more positive uh, and 26 were lower. And again, I, I do wanna note that these are uh, things that we found interesting and many, many other highlights to be gleaned going through the data. Um, and with uh, the existing subscription of Polka, we do have the ability to follow up uh, with subscribers on our platform. And I wanna note as well that we do have plans to meet with city officials uh, later this month to talk about survey results and um, kind of unpack um, some next steps from there. Uh, but definitely do want to stop for any questions as well. Thank you very much. Questions, commissioners? 
I would suggest that it's a lot to unpack and it might be likely that there might be more conversation about this going forward. I know this isn't a one-time thing, Manager Ritzman. Do you want to say anything about how this fits into the context sure. of our intentions here? Yeah, so this is part of the information we're going to use going into our retreat coming up in a couple weeks. So that'll inform the priorities we're going to ask you to set. Um, so that's an opportunity there to revisit this as well. Okay, appreciate that. Questions at this time, commissioners? Well, I'll just jump in here. So I, not being a statistician, you know, I'm always astounded by the, the modest number of responses you can get uh, across a community of 75,000 people. I know people bring that up all the time, but talk about how 380, you know, is representative. I think that'd be my first question. And my second question is, uh, particular context, for example, you know, if you have a, a high profile event or something that occurs, you know, within the time frame, uh, do you notice any effect or is that generally those kinds of anomalies don't necessarily uh, find themselves into a survey? Mm. Two great questions. Um, and starting with uh, kind of the representativeness, um, it is a, a valid question. And I think we see it especially during election times uh, that like how can a, a survey of 100 folks kind of determine or, or guess who you know, the next president or governor will be. And what we see with uh, you know, astounding accuracy a lot of times that those you know, are able to predict. Uh, we're actually see, a, for the most part, more respondents to our surveys than to a lot of those national ones. Uh, and so the ability to extrapolate this and, and you know, use it to the community at large is, it's really twofold. It starts with that randomization from the onset. Uh, we don't target specific members within the community. Uh, and all folks um, living within Kalamazoo have a, an equal chance uh, to be selected for participation. Now, along with that, just, just because folks are selected, we know obviously that doesn't mean that we'll respond. There's what we refer to as non-response bias in any survey effort. And that's where that weighting really uh, comes into play. Uh, so we know that if we have, let's say, closer to a 60-40 split of um, those who identify as male versus female in Kalamazoo, but we actually hear back from closer to 50-50, uh, what we can do is um, count the responses of, let's say, those in that 60%, a little bit more than the 40%, to make sure that that's getting a good, accurate picture into the demographic groups of Kalamazoo overall. And, and so while we do that with a, a number of different demographics being um, sex, um, as well as um, housing tenure, uh, may not be the right term, but um, housing status, and things of that nature. And, and so we're able to, uh, within uh, that 6% plus or minus accuracy, um, predict that we 95% of the time responses would fall within that range. Uh, and so while we can't say with 100% accuracy, we can get uh, pretty close to that. Uh, and in, in my response, I apologize. Uh, I, I've forgotten the, the second aspect, if you could remind me. Um, so that was just, for example, is an event or, or something that occurred, you know, kind of proximate to the survey that might have had, you know, a more dramatic effect in the moment. For example, a large increase in our water and sewer rates. Uh, does, is there 
Does that just balance out in a survey, or would you tend to see maybe some of those kinds of things reflected in a survey? That's a great question as well. And uh, definitely these events, the timing of these events, and especially the, the perception of these events can definitely have effect uh, on ratings overall. Um, on a national scale, um, you know, certain recent, uh, we'll say, um, public health events um, actually have different you know, reactions in different communities uh, can actually make things skew a little bit more positive, a little more negative. Uh, but there are, you know, uh, within communities, events that can definitely have an effect. Um, I think a good example of this is with some of the hurricanes that were experienced in Florida uh, earlier this year. Uh, we saw ratings for um, fire, flood, and other natural disaster in the safety facet go down in a number of communities. And it just so happened that we surveyed more or less right, I want to say during the hurricane, but right after the hurricane. Uh, and so we can look in those trends to see where that item lies and if it's uh, higher or lower than the norm uh, and if it corrects itself later on. Uh, but uh, that's a long-winded way of saying that definitely the, the perception of, of things on a more local level can definitely have an impact, impact on those responses. Okay, I appreciate that. I might come back to you later, but Commissioner Pradel, did you have a question? I was just curious. I, you <clears throat> kind of piqued a thought with the, about the, um, the utility and infrastructure response because, you know, noticing that one w was lower. Um, this year we're about to invest $111.1 million in capital improvements in our community. Mm -hmm. I mean, largest probably in the city's history and probably only second to last year. Mm -hmm. can't think of any period in my life that I saw more barrels and, you know, construction underway. So, I mean, instances like that, how can that adversely uh, skew how people view things? Is it because I'm frustrated because of all the detours and whatever, you know, like the mayor said, could it be because of the higher utility rates, you know, that people were facing? I mean, what, what, what are some of the things that you see that could impact something like that, even though there's, you could argue, a lot of positive progress being made on something like infrastructure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, those are great insights. And um, it can be taken in a number of different ways. I, I think the example that you gave is actually a, a very good example, especially for um, utility or road infrastructure, especially. And, you know, putting a, a, a significant you know, part of the budget into an area that's very visible and, and could cause frustration could definitely, um, we see the results in, in the survey and, and folks' thoughts on that, even though those improvements are being made. Uh, and then, you know, that's a great thing to check over trends uh, to see where that lies, if, you know, folks are still perceiving it that way. Um, one of the examples that I, I like to think back on was a, a community I worked with last year um, had just put a, a lot of money actually into <coughs> their water refinement system. I forget what the exact term is, um, but they still had low ratings for water quality over wa overall. And, and the reason for it is, is that they realized that they really hadn't done any um, communication, any public outreach, letting folks know that you know, this large sum of the budget was being put towards uh, these water services. And so things had improved, uh, but folks didn't really know that it was being improved. Uh, so I think it is possibly a timing thing, uh, but also uh, a perception and outreach thing. Um, and then if it's prolonged over time, um, 
then I think, you know, especially in the short term and long term, but uh, it deserves follow up as well. One of my uh, colleagues has a great line, and I feel like I'm not going to do her justice, but you know, if we're putting our money into um, you know water, let's say, and folks still um, have low ratings for it, then we still have a water problem, mm. uh, regardless of uh, the work that we've done for it. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good, good. I mean, likewise, the other one I was curious about is safety, and I, th I wonder if part of that is communication, getting out the word, but also, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's just because it's improving doesn't mean it's perfect, you know. Uh, but, you know, even just like last year, especially in the second half of 2022, was the first time since pre-pandemic that we had seen outcome improvements in safety. I mean, decrease in the third by auto vehicular theft, um, violent crimes down. But, you know, this survey kind of coincided with that period that we saw the decline. And so the question is, is, you know, uh, you know, was that enough time for people to be informed about those improvements? Uh, and, and, you know, for a number of cases, I mean, it's still pervasive mm -hmm. the challenges people might be saying. Mm. Um, Definitely. And, and I think, you know, a number of these topics, too, are great topics that we could potentially follow up on and, and dig in a little bit deeper if we want to get um, some more granular information on uh, if we have you know, perceptions of safety, is it certain aspects uh, of safety that folks are most um, pointed in on? That, that's something that we could definitely explore. Yeah, I would be interested to like line up the timing of the survey with what events were, you know, happening in that community in that time as well. I think that'd be interesting to find out. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. Other questions? Commissioners? So, so I, I will follow along with this line of thinking here with Commissioner Pradel is that obviously uh, there's one part of it which I'm sure is a little challenging for you, you know, it's kind of getting your report card and, uh, you know, we sit around here and kind of look at that and, you know, it can feel discouraging about some parts where you're ranking lower than other folks because you believe in your community, you care about it, you spend a lot of time thinking and working on it. But for it to be a useful tool, I know that I'm sure there is a, a point of diminishing returns in terms of how granular you get in a survey, uh, whether people are willing to fill it out or not. But is, is, is there a way, as you just remarked, to dive a little deeper? Because sometimes you can feel like, okay, I'm guessing, what is the response maybe from the city side that might help improve people's perceptions in an area? And is that kind of granular information in some way already been collected, or would that be something that perhaps would, you know, could be augmented by some sort of a follow-up? Yeah, I think it's, I think we have some of that information already. I think it's kind of both ends of the coin. Um, first of which being, you know, if we look at especially one of the things that we're gonna be doing, and I'll allow Laura to jump in if she wants at any point, but. Uh, we do plan on a meeting um, during the uh, retreat to do a, a next steps workshop to dive into some of these areas and kind of talk through um, the uh, I, the I want to say community members, but you know, such as yourself being community members, uh, and kind of piecing things together of you know making sense of some of the ratings that we got, uh, but also ways uh, that we can improve on that or focus on that in the next few years. Um, I also think that the, the Polko platform as a whole can be a great tool to uh, dive into any of those items that we would like to get some more information about overall. Um, we have a, a number of 
questions in our library already. And outside of that, I know we'd be more than happy to kind of formulate questions to Kalamazoo overall. Uh, but the way that I, I view the survey is, just as you say, it's like your report card. I, I think of it as you know, a final. And you know, your, your final makes up for you know, maybe in, in heavier classes, 20% of your grade. But really what it is is all of those assessments and homework assignments leading up to it. Uh, and so we have the ability to help with those proverbial uh, you know, assessments and, and homework assignments as well. Great, that's helpful. And I'm glad there's gonna be further involvement there. I think that's gonna be the way that this can be more, most useful. Mm -hmm. Any other, uh, yes, Commissioner Hess. Yeah, thank you, Joe, for that presentation. Um, so last year and a few years before it came out, Kalamazoo ranks number two in the nation for its low cost of living and uh, Kalamazoo ranked number one most affordable city to live in the US. These are like some headline things that we get. Hmm. And then I see only 40% of our, our respondents said that it was um, uh, affordable in which to live. So who's right? You know, um, so I understand that a lot of people are hurting in this community and, and we, may have, um, we may have those as respondents. And, um, so what makes, according to, to your data, um, uh, affordability in a community? Yeah, and I think that's a, a, a great example of perhaps that perception. Uh, if folks have seen a rise in cost overall or if folks are looking for starter homes and it's been very difficult for them, uh, even though from a national standpoint, Kalamazoo may have, um, you know, generally be more affordable than most other cities, uh, folks may still be feeling it relative to, to their own uh, personal situations as being uh, still a difficult time to be in. Uh, I think also uh, the timing and, and some national trends that we're seeing with general affordability and uh, more anecdotally speaking with inflation uh, may certainly be playing into those feelings of affordability overall as well. Commissioner Pradel. My day job. I've I was talking to our board chair about like lagging versus predictive uh, statistics. Mm. It was just, uh, you know, I think like the, the takeaway was is like we as like organizations oftentimes will like measure what happened in the past. You know, if we bring them here and it's like by the time we get the statistics, it's kind of like people might have kind of moved on. And so how do you how do you figure in those like I guess you call it like predictive statistics and figure like look at this and say you know, maybe what progress has been made since that was measured, or, um, I don't know. Does that make sense? I think so. Um, and I think uh, context is, is, is great with that, um, especially being, you know, experts in the community. Um, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm able to see our trends, but is really only a snapshot into that. And so being able to, to work with y'all in, in the coming months, I think will be great in contextualizing some of these things and having a better understanding of, of efforts that we've put toward it. Um, and then kind of using that as well as the, the information that we have from as an opinion to, to help you know, form some strategies uh, moving forward. Any other thoughts or questions? All right, thank you so much for doing the work and being here to talk to us. We look forward to further discussions, so appreciate your efforts. Beautiful, thank you again for, for having me. Um, hopefully Lions and the Bills both have better seasons next year and uh, I look forward to our continued <laughs> partnership. Thanks y'all. Thank you. The Lions will for sure. Um,
<laughs> we are now down uh, to the point on our agenda where it is an opportunity for public comments. And we will start with individuals who are here in the chambers. And then, uh, then we will move on to people who are calling in. First thing I will do now is to just give the call in number. It is 888-382-9556. And Andy here from our IT department will manage those. And we will start with people in the chambers. So you'll have three minutes. Please give us your name and whether you live in the city. Good evening, I'm Toby Hannah Davies and I do live in the city. I'm here to ask you about the Arcadia Lofts project, the Brownfield plan for 203 North Rose Street. I love that this project is creative use of these historic buildings and that it will create 79 new residential units downtown. And I'm very happy that 40% of the units will be attainable, which means affordable to people at 80% to 120% of our area median income. But I'm very concerned that yet another proposal for new downtown residential units does not include any units for people who work downtown at all the lower paid jobs. People who work full time but need housing for people at 60% of area median income or 50% or even 30%. New downtown residential units are wonderful for the vitality of our city. I am all for it. But we already have a lot of new market rate units at the new Exchange Building across from the Radisson, the new Warner Building across from the Arcadia Festival site, the new Rose Street Apartments diagonally across from the library on Rose, continuing around the corner on Cedar Street and Park Street. The Rose Street project has some attainable units for people at 80% to 120% of our area median income, but is that the best that we can do? We need our new housing to be mixed income housing that includes people at all the pay levels of the jobs in the area. If we don't create truly mixed income housing, we're perpetuating segregation. We're creating exclusive housing. We're taught to think of exclusive as desirable, but it really means that it excludes people. People who work hard every day that all of us depend on to do the lower wage jobs. Mixed income housing is very successful in a number of other places and some of your city staff know a lot about it please ask for some of the attainable units at the Arcadia Lofts to be affordable at 60%, 50 and 30% of AMI. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Next, please. Hello, I'm Jody. I live in Kalamazoo. Um, I believe 
there should be a national dewormy day. Pets too, compliments to the firefighters and pet nurse at the gospel mission. In time to win the war against trash to tell of the new hospital coming from the Jews. Um, is it not terror when people scream in pain and when people agonize and sleep horror? That's the opposite of God. Then God bless to the landfills. We need help. Here's, here's a go-to problems, problematics, inheritance to upjohns compared to God. God bless. Here's to the landfill project, the new hospital. Spaceship inheritance to Israel. God bless. I believe the first four of us have come in for the spaceship. Uh, me, the heart, China, the brains, Thailand, the lungs, and Africa, the backbone that's going to tie it all together, tie all the organs together. So far, I've put some things together. It's phenomenal what I'm experiencing and how it's been pulled together coming here, the stories, the stories I've wrote about individual families with garbage issues and disease and rats that are diseased from it. And that's a landfill with all kinds of fecal matter, moldy furniture. There's a way to disintegrate that stuff and downgrade it and build up on that territory. It smells terrible over there on Cork Street. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the chambers who wants to speak this evening? Good evening. Jeff Messer, city resident. An update on my recent canvassing for Rank My Votes, Rank Choice Voting Initiative in the city of Kalamazoo. Two Saturdays ago, we canvassed the Washington Avenue sidewalk outside the Edison Neighborhood Association office during the city commissioner listening session. Only about 14 citizens attended the event, but new volunteer Shell and I got 10 petition signatures out of them. Last Saturday, Barry and I canvassed the Southwest Niche Avenue sidewalk outside the Vine Neighborhood Association office during the Vine Midwinter Festival. This was a mixed crowd with about half being non-city residents. We netted nine valid signatures for our two hours invested. Rank My Vote is a citizen's initiative that seeks to amend the Michigan Constitution in 2026 in order to establish ranked choice voting statewide. As an educational effort prior to that, we are collecting initiative petition signatures in large cities across the state in order to amend city charters and locally establish ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting is a change to the way we vote that we believe will increase and improve the quality and diversity of candidates by allowing voters to express their true candidate preferences without fear of wasting votes or voting for the lesser of two evils. For those unfamiliar with ranked choice voting, please visit our website, rankmyvote.org where my is MI, the postal abbreviation for Michigan. The national website for the ranked choice voting movement is fairvote.org. For those who are familiar with ranked choice voting and are ready to sign our petitions, we're holding a volunteer meet and greet on Sunday, February 19th from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Water Street Coffee Joint on Oakland Drive in the Oakwood Plaza. For future locations where I and other Rank My Vote volunteers will be canvassing, please visit my Facebook campaign page at facebook.com slash messer4kzoo. That's facebook.com slash m-e-s-s-e-r numeral 4 K Z O O. You can also enter Jeff Messer for Kalamazoo in the Facebook search box. 
And uh, for those who are in the chambers tonight and uh, list, uh, watching live, I do have my petitions with me. Uh, you would have to meet me outside the building to sign the petitions. Uh, uh, City Attorney Robinson informed me that I cannot allow you to sign my petitions inside the building. And if anyone missed any of the details, uh, I usually give uh, Clerk Borling a copy of my remarks for the minutes so you can uh, ask him, uh, ask his office for a copy of anything that I've said. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. Good evening. So this is kind of a joint um, experience here. <laughs> um, I have something to pass out. Can I give that to? Would you mind giving us your name? Do you live in the city? I guess I should, shouldn't I? Yes. I'm Jennifer Hudson Prinkert. I do live here in Kalamazoo. And I'm here to present uh, Sounds of the Zoo update, as well as uh, a collaboration on a fundraiser with Hope Through Navigation. So we started, I started Sounds of the Zoo this last year. This is my second year. Um, I call it my sophomore album. And really excited to report we had a great successful event. I had seven days, 54 bands in six locations for free to share with the community to bring about diversity inclusion and supporting mental health awareness and sustainability awareness. And I have built upon that. And since then, I am hosting at least two events a month to use Sounds of the Zoo as a platform for the greater good of the community and to keep the awareness of the platform and to keep growing this event. And in lieu of that, I am working with Gwendolyn Hooker from uh, Hope Through Navigation. This is our second year of a fundraising event that we've created. And this year, we are collaborating and celebrating Black History Month by putting on a benefit concert at Bell's Brewery. And we have three bands and we're benefiting the Tiny House Pilot Project. We had a very successful event last year and both felt passionate about um, doing it this year. February 16th from 7 p.m. till 10.30 p.m., $10 at Bells on Thursday night. We have three bands to offer a great variety of music to share with the community of diversity and we're very excited. We're trying to bring a lot of positivity to the community and grow together and keep crossing our networks and expanding through the communities of serving this community. Oh, okay. Um, commissioners, uh, Mayor, Vice Mayor, City Manager, City Attorney, I'm Gwendolyn Hooker. Um, my, those first two, oh, you reset the clock, awesome. Okay, so um, I believe that Jennifer did share some information. Um, I want to just follow up on a small update about the Tiny Houses of Hope pilot project, as well as invite you and everyone that's listening um, to the concert that is on February 16th at Bell's Brewery. Um, so the Tiny House Project, we know that we've had many conversations about affordable housing for marginalized populations of people that Hope Through Navigation serves, most notably people with criminal backgrounds, people with substance use disorder history, we are at the point where we are um, <clears throat> looking for contractors. We sent out a bid. Um, we got some bids back that we were definitely not happy with. Um, and so we are resubmitting, or I don't know if it's submitting, but we're, we're putting bids out again um, so that we know that with COVID, um, a lot of things happened that increased um, materials, labor, and, and things of that nature. And so 
we need to find contractors that can bid our project as close to our budget as, as feasibly possible. Um, and with that being said, um, <clears throat> we have always had the budget that we originally said. And so it was never about not being able to raise the money. Kalamazoo has been very, very generous, as well as the city of Kalamazoo with their, um, with their support of this project and the money that they have already committed, um, as well as LISC. But we know that we have a shortfall and we are gonna continue to raise a hope by you know, asking for community partners, citizens, and folks like you that um, care about marginalized populations of people and affordable housing to come out and not only come out and have a good time, um, good music. We have three really, really great bands that are really highlighting um, Black History Month. Um, one is from Uganda, one is a very young, talented, up-and-coming African-American man, and then we have a return person, a return group, which is Skeletones, that's a, a native uh, Kalamazoo band that everybody loves, um, loves to listen to and dance to, and so we just want, you know, for folks to come out, support, and learn more about um, the Tiny Houses of Hope project, and definitely build our momentum back so that we can stay in the, in the light and let people know that we are not going to give up. We are deferred, but we are not um, we are we are not giving up on what what it is that we said we were going to do. So we're inviting you and everybody else that's listening on this meeting to come out and support the Tiny Houses of Hope project. Thank you so very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Nice to see you. Is there anyone else in the chambers who would like to make a take the opportunity to take a, make a public comment. Seeing no one at this time, Andy, is there anyone who's called in? Let me check one moment, please. does not appear we have any comments at this time. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Next, we have two public hearings this evening. Uh, first one, Manager Risma. Sure. We have a public hearing to receive comments on an ordinance to rezone the west 1.6 acres of 3650 Alvin Road from the commercial community district to the manufacturing limited district M1. Thank you, Manager Risma. Is there staff here to report on this item? Yeah, our zoning administrator, Pete Eldridge, is going to give a brief presentation. Welcome, Pete Eldridge. Nice to have you here. Good evening, Mayor Anderson, commissioners, city manager Ritzema. Yes, uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity just to talk briefly about this and I'll, I'll give a, a good overview of this. Um, the first rezoning we have for tonight is at 3650 Alvan Road. The applicant is Alvan Road LLC, which is the same entity that owns the refinery marijuana retailer, which is also located on this property on the east side of the property closer to Sprinkle Road. And the rezoning is for the west 1.6 acres only. The overall parcel of property is uh, 3.5 acres. Um, 
the rezoning is from commercial community to manufacturing limited district. Uh, why is this being asked for? Uh, it's, it's multiple things. Uh, the, the one is to allow for a wider uh, array of land uses, uh, given its proximity further from Sprinkle Road. It is approximately 550 feet back from Sprinkle Road, and it's adjacent to another industrial use, um, which is the Old Dominion Freight Hauling Company. So, um, Lastly, Alvan and Sadler Road are viewed more as an industrial park than a, than a through street, so there isn't really a lot of uh, uh, light commercial uses. It's more uh, landscaping businesses and uh, light industrial or light manufacturing uses along there. So those are some of the reasons that the applicant has asked to, uh, to open up the uh, west 1.6 acres uh, to the manufacturing one district. This item was before the Planning Commission on December 1st. Um, and at that meeting, uh, during the public hearing, we had no comments that came up. Staff did recommend approval of the rezoning. And uh, the, after some discussion, the Planning Commission did unanimously approve a recommendation to recommend this approval to the City Commission tonight. I do have in the audience uh, the applicant. If there's any questions uh, for the applicant, they are willing to step forward. Uh, but that is that is the overview. Uh, I, I can answer any questions that you have. Thank you, Mr. Eldridge. Very helpful. Uh, Commissioner, comments or questions? Commissioner Pradle. I'm just asking some questions, kind of help the public understand uh, this a little bit better. So in 2018, this property and 36 other others were rezoned from um, M1 to CC. Correct. Uh, and so this would effectively be moving half of one on the west side from basically back from CC to M1 zoning. And so Correct. can you just kind of explain like, you know, after that work being done in, in 2018, why this makes sense now uh, to, to switch it back? Sure, sure, that's, that's, that's a really good question. So, so what was done in 2018 is we had, um, after many years of that area, including uh, East Cork Street uh, wrapping around and connecting to the roundabout, and then that stretch of Sprinkle Road uh, uh, extending down from, from Miller um, to the roundabout, that, that area was all zoned, well, almost all of it was, was still in the Manufacturing Limited Zone M1 and looking at the amount of restaurants and hotels that had developed in that area, it was clear that this, was, this, this area was more predominantly commercialized, not uh, geared for light industrial uses. So that was why the, the uh, city initiated that rezoning of so many parcels. And, um, you know, and, then, and then of course where that the, those rezoning stopped was essentially where Sadler Road is. So Alvan extends, extends west, and then it turns and runs north, and that's Sadler Road right there at that, at that uh, 90 degree turn. And um, you know everything uh, on the west side of Sadler is still in that M1 zone. So that was this is, so this this parcel we're talking about tonight butts up to the remaining area that that uh, stayed in the M1. 
And uh, so it, it really straddles everything that was rezoned to the, to the CC back in 2018 and butts up against what remained in M1. So the applicant is, is just looking, uh, you know, looking to, to pull in that 1.6 acres back into the M1 zone and, uh, and then leave the rest of it in the CC zone, which would be roughly 1.9 acres. And grow, grow operations require the, the M1 manufacturing designation. Yes, correct? yes. So M1 would allow for, for warehousing. It would allow for more, uh, a greater variety of, of marijuana uh, facility uses. Um, you know, uh, you know, a, a lot of businesses that have some outdoor storage would be allowed in M1. And then. Uh, one of the things I was reading as well that was helpful with this is that the survey work was done in advance before it came to planning commission, if I understand correctly. So correct. then if this is approved tonight, the next step then is going to site plan review. Is that correct? Well, the, the next step, they, they, would, they, would re, they would go ahead and uh, you know, formalize that land division and then they could you know, either choose to develop that, you know, this 1.6 acre parcel separately or, you know, or, or advertise it for sale if they want. But, but yeah, so they're, they're waiting to get this approved and then they've got the, the legal descriptions to move forward with the rezoning, or, I'm sorry, the, the, the land division per se. Cool, thank you. Other questions for staff on this particular item? Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you, thank you for being here. What is, a, what is the benefit the city will get? The, the benefit the city would get is the opportunities for redevelopment are, are greater if this is in the M1 zone. It's because it's so far off of the main drag, as I mentioned, off of Sprinkle Road. It's not uh, desirable for a type of business that needs to be on, you know, directly on a high traffic corridor or within uh, or visible from a high traffic corridor. and. You know, therefore, it, uh, it it allows for other types of businesses um, that, that that don't need that visibility, but need a fair amount of uh, you know square footage, you know, for their facility and their parking and so forth. I, I can't remember what it's called, but the social responsibility piece uh, to the cannabis business. Social equity. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Maybe the business can speak, or if you know, like where are they landing uh, with the social equity piece? You mean how how would that come into play with this? Are, are they are they participating? Are they at a standard that that we set? Like what what does that mean for this business particularly? Well, this would so, and again, this is a rezoning. So this, you know, there's no specific land use identified, you know, that's, that's a sure thing to go on this property right now. But in the event that a marijuana facility was built or was proposed for this property that's being rezoned, you know, then they would go through the same process of applying for a provisional license. They would submit their community benefits statement and all the other uh, required forms um, if, if they were uh, social equity qualified, um, it really would depend on what sort of business was going there because being that there's a retailer next door, 
even a, a, a social equity qualifying retailer that would get that reduced distance from another retailer, that reduced separation distance, they, they still can't be right next door to each other. They have to be at least 500 feet apart. So, um, so I guess, you know, to answer your question, best of my ability, they, they would still have to provide all those general requirements in chapter 20B that, that talk about, you know, what benefit are you bringing to the community? You know, you know, you know our, our promotion of local hiring and so forth. Um, so those would all come into play. Attorney Robinson. If I may, Commissioner Hoffman, and for the rest of the commission, zoning decisions have to be made in a different uh, paradigm. You can't look at the applicant. A good example of that is what occurred a few years ago when the Chick-fil-A wanted to have a, a, a presence in the city up on Drake Road and they needed a rezoning and some things that were done in the zoning capacity. And Chick-fil-A has a, a reputation as uh, having an anti-gay bias. That consideration cannot enter into the decision by this body because it has nothing to do with the rezoning of that land. Chick-fil-A may have, I mean, while they were owning it and they wanted to rezoning it, it's a rezoning question. And as uh, Mr. Eldridge pointed out, that decision has to be made separate and apart from who owns the land and what use they may put to it. Now, when it comes to getting their, their business, and as we put out, uh, as, as we put in our ordinance regarding marijuana businesses, we do require them to reach the silver level of social equity with the state. And for that, they need that certification to get the license to operate the business. But that's a separate question from whether the land that they own should be rezoned. I hope that clarifies it. Thanks, Attorney Robinson. Other questions for Pete or anyone else in the city team? All right, thank you very much. Is there anyone in the chambers who would like to comment on this item? See no one. Uh, commissioners, the action requested is a motion to adopt the ordinance. Is there a motion? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Pradle. Support. Supported by Vice Mayor Cooney. Any discussion? Commissioner Pradle. I was just going to mention that the Planning Commission unanimously passed this. Those are our resident experts that look at this, and it's it's always uh, it's it's fun to watch them ask the questions and really dive into this because you know this is that's their jam. You know that's really what they do. Um, but it, um, overall, just like sitting through that process and looking at, that, I think this is a a, a good move forward um, for that particular um, uh, piece on on that road there. On I guess it's uh, Elvin Road. Right? Thank you, Commissioner Pradle. Other discussion? I, I understand that this is, is, is a zoning issue, but if we're going back to manufacturing limited district, that, that my mind says there's gonna be some manufacturing at some point. Uh, and I know it has nothing to do with the zoning. However, um, when I think about the cannabis business and how it has been very, very uh, hard for people of color to enter into this industry. Uh, 
I feel my questions are valid um, because uh, there's money being made and yet it's not, it's not being made with people of color. And that's important to me. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Commissioner Hoffman. Any other discussion? Uh, so, so just, uh, you know, a couple of things that obviously uh, we ultimately make this decision. The Planning Commission is an advisory body to us, basically. So I, I just want to say that certainly a couple of things that do go into my decision-making process when we're coming to these rezonings is what did the Planning Commission recommend to us? Uh, and I appreciate that all of us have responsibilities as, as being liaisons to other uh, committees and activities here, and Commissioner Pradle takes that very seriously and attends the planning commission meetings. Not enough time sitting in this uh, chambers, I guess, just uh, as part of the commission. So thank you, Commissioner Pradle, uh, for that. And uh, staff is supporting as well. So particular motion is uh, a zoning uh, change recommendation. The motion's been made. And is there any other discussion? Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Thank you, Commissioners. The motion is adopted. Next, another public hearing. Commissioner Ritzma. A public hearing to receive comments on an ordinance to rezone 435. 436 and 439 Westnage Court from residential multi-dwelling district RM36 to uh, commercial neighborhood district CN-1 and commercial office district CO to residential multi-dwelling district RM36. Thank you, Manager Ritzby. I presume that Mr. Eldridge is available for yes. presentation on this? Yes. Good evening once again. So this uh, grouping of properties, the uh, all on Westnage Court, um, one on the north side, two on the south side. Uh, this rezoning was brought forward by Odyssey Properties, LLC. Uh, Jake Tardani is the, the principal and uh, his company owns and manages these properties. And this uh, originally came up uh, with a refinancing question and as I I looked into it, we noticed the overlapping zone districts and uh, after reviewing it and looking at what the, the applicable development standards were, which actually was, a, was the commercial neighborhood zone, um, you know, we, you know he, he brought up the option to rezone. So the reason that, that this rezoning is moving forward is to basically get um, there's, there's three overlapping zone districts on these residential properties. And because the predominant zoning is a commercial zone, um, it, makes, it makes the structures non-conforming, which complicates refinancing, complicates uh, you know, getting loans against the property, uh, properties. And, uh, and, and therefore, um, he, he uh, initiated this rezoning, which will clean up the zoning and put all three of these residential uh, structures that were built between 1910 and 1920 um, back in a residential zone district, RM36. This was before the Planning Commission on December 1st and the, uh, during the public hearing we did not receive any, any comments 
Um, the Vine Neighborhood Association is, is aware of it and they had no comment on it. Uh, staff recommended approval of the rezoning and the Planning Commission unanimously approved a recommendation to the City Commission to approve the rezoning of these three properties. The applicant is also here tonight if there's any questions for, for him. Thank you. Appreciate that. Questions for uh, Mr. Eldridge? Commissioners? Seeing none, thank you very much. Is there anyone in the audience who'd like to comment on this item? Seeing no one, the motion is an will be an action to adopt the ordinance. Is there a motion? Motion made by Commissioner Juarez. Support. Supported by Commissioner Hess. Any discussion, commissioners? Commissioner Pradel. Again, just wanted to mention that the Planning Commission unanimously uh, supported this as well, but I think it's particularly impressive to see, you know, where uh, an individual identifies an issue and then city staff works to resolve that issue. And, and so I, um, both parties for trying to be, uh, you know, uh, stick to conform to things, but also be agile enough to meet people with their needs in our community. So, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Pradle. Any other discussion? Seeing none, Clerk Burley, please call the roll. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Thank you, Commissioners. The motion passes. We are now on to our consent agenda, Manager Ritzma. The following items are presented for approval this evening. First is approval of a contract extension with Reith Riley for supplying asphalt paving materials to the city for street, capital, and other repair type work in the estimated amount of $1,215,500. Next, the approval of a one-year contract extension with KSS Enterprises for janitorial supplies in the amount of $104,560.02. Next, the approval of a one-year contract extension with Kindle Electric Incorporated for the inventory and non-inventory electrical supplies in the amount of $113,810.44. Next is the approval of a contract with Earthworks Lawn and Landscaping for mowing and trimming of city parks in the amount of $157,948. Next is the approval of a three-month contract extension for the purchase of 12.5% sodium hypochlorite by volume from Alexander Chemical Corporation in the amount of $289,948.75. Next is the approval of a contract with pave, uh, pavement ma maintenance systems for the 2023 local streets chip and cape seal project in the amount of $358,272. Next is the approval of the, per of the purchase of 10 public safety fleet vehicles from La Fontaine Dodge through the My Deal Cooperative Purchasing Program in the amount of $423,740. Next is the approval of a one-year contract extension with Michigan Municipal Risk Management Authority through IVEX Insurance Agency for property and casualty insurance for an amount not to exceed $1,076,665, which includes the annual insurance premium and member loss fund deposit. Next is the approval of amendments to the service agreement between the Foundation for Excellence and the City of Kalamazoo. 
Next is the adoption of a resolution from the Michigan Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs Liquor Control Commission recommending approval of an off-premises tasting room license for De Decatur Tastings LLC at 246 North Kalamazoo Mall. Next is the approval and acceptance of an easement with Jodan Properties LLC for parcel 06294981 for the amount of $613. Next is the approval and acceptance of an easement from CBT Michigan LLC for parcel number 06284940001 for the amount of $190 and the approval of the following appointments and reappointments to boards and commissions. The reappointment of Donna Keller to the Board of Review for assessments for a term expiring on January 1 or 31, 2026. This recommendation includes a request to waive City Commission Rule 12E regarding term limits. Next is the appointment of Kazmira Herberger to the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board for a term expiring on January 1, 2026. And the, re and the appointment of Jared Burdew to the Zoning Board of Appeals for a term expiring on March 31, 2024. Thank you, Manager Ritzma. So commissioners, the requested action is to approve items G1 through 10 and 12 through 14 and authorize uh, city manager to sign any documents related to those items. Is there a motion? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Hoffman, supported by Commissioner Juarez. Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Thank you, Commissioners. The items on the consent agenda are approved. Now we have one item on the regular agenda. Manager Risma. Yeah, item G11, adoption of a resolution approving an Act 381 Brownfield plan for the project at 203 North Rose Street. Thank you, Manager Ritzma. Uh, looks like there are some folks here that are yeah. provided some comments. Jamie we, McCarthy yep, and Tonya Mitchell. Jamie McCarthy, our Sustainability Development Coordinator, and Antonio's in the back on the bench there, back up. And then we have a de de developer, Andy Wenzel. Welcome. Would, do you want to start or? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Thank you, Mayor, City Manager, uh, Vice Mayor, and Commissioners. I'm happy to give you a little bit of uh, background and more information on this project. It's a project that uh, the developer uh, came to city staff probably just over um, six months ago, a little bit longer, and let us know that this uh, building that they've owned for a little while here in downtown um, has been uh, commercial office space for quite some time, but has been experiencing some vacancy um, over the years and has been difficult to fill, as you can imagine with some of the trends that are happening um, uh, across the US. Uh, the, the building is a great historic resource in downtown, but it also has um, you know, some of those functional challenges um, for office space and really needed some updating. Uh, so the developer came forward with this um, new concept to really reuse the building for something that um, would be of greater use right now, and that would be converting uh, most of the upper floors to residential units. 
Uh, so really, you know, reusing and restoring, rehabilitating the front portion of the building, and then actually even adding on a few floors in the, uh, the back portion of the building, uh, which is not the historic space. Um, and so that gives uh, kind of a, a, a quick or a, a great way to add more units into the city, 79, again, more units. And then the first floor would remain commercial, but it would be more active at that street level. Um, they envision uh, more of a retail restaurant type space. And then also um, some activation of the courtyard that's there. It's a grassed courtyard, um, if you can picture it. Uh, and it's um, right along the Arcadia Creek and the Kalamazoo River Valley Trail. Uh, the project overall is um, a $25 million investment in the city, and they've come forward and asked for brownfield support because of um, some of those uh, building demolition, the asbestos and lead abatement costs, things that are brownfield eligible to really you know, bring this property back up to the health and safety codes and standards um, of uh, modern development. Um, it'll also help cover some Infrastructure costs, if they're in the right of way, um, uh, and some sidewalks, things like that, they um, are eligible under Brownfield uh, statute. The BRA held a public hearing a couple of weeks ago on January 19th. Uh, we didn't get any comments from the public at that time, um, but we certainly had uh, a lot of support from the board members. They voted unanimously to recommend this, um, this uh, Brownfield plan to to this commission, uh, they were pleased that there was not any added parking so that um, this was you know, maintaining that walkability in the city. It's close to public transit right along the bike trail. Um, that it's a, a historic reuse of a building that they're investing in a current building, um, bringing that up to code and um, all of the environmental benefits that go along with that. And they like to see those uh, new units that would be able to come online maybe a little bit quicker than a fully um, new construction type building. And they did talk about affordability. Uh, this project has um, a, a good portion of units um, at the time, and I'll let um, Mr. Wenzel come up and talk a little bit more about some of those elements of the project. But uh, when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, you know, we're looking at units that are in that workforce attainable housing kind of range of 80% AMI up to 120% AMI and then some um, market rate. Um, just with uh, the amount of support that Brownfield can uh, offer the project, that's not going to get projects down below, you know, into the highly affordable ranges. Uh, it's just very limited what brownfield dollars can pay for and subsidizing those rents isn't always, you know, a part of what that program helps to accomplish. But I will let Mr. Wenzel come up and talk a little bit more about the project they have planned. Thank you, Jamie McCarthy. Hello, uh, my name is Andy Wenzel. I'm with Plaza Corp. And uh, Jamie did a really nice job and she nailed it on really the details of the project. Uh, we're excited about this project. It's another historic renovation, um, very similar to the hotel, uh, the Hilton hotels that are right down the street where we took a historic building, saved it, preserved it, uh, added on to it, and made it into a very cool, um, iconic uh, building here in Kalamazoo that we're known for. The city's known for and Plaza's known for uh, saving those types of buildings. So this is another one of those projects. It is. Uh, uh, we did work on the the, um, uh, the the rates 
and uh, we are uh, 40 percent or more in the 80 to 120 percent affordability, so workforce housing. We might be back to talk with you about a neighborhood enterprise zone and per perhaps get some housing in the 60 percent affordable uh, AMI uh, zone. We don't have that. We've started those discussions, but there's additional tools that are needed to be able to do that, especially in today's uh, market where rates are, uh, costs are going, are skyrising, rising, interest rates have, have, are creeping up already and uh, we don't see that changing anytime soon. So it just, it makes it hard, it was already hard to do that, now it's even tougher to do it. Um, there are other projects that are able to do that, but they have tax credits and other incentives along with Brownfield to make that happen. So, um, so we may be having that discussion, but, um, but not today. So we're excited about the project. Again, uh, just activating that, the courtyard, um, repurposing that building and, uh, and activating it, get people living in that building and enjoying the, uh, the uh, entertainment, the restaurant. We have a restaurant on the first floor that's gonna be in there. Um, so it's, it'll be a good, really good addition to the city, but also in that location um, we, we're really happy about this one. So I'd be glad to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Uh, team, any questions for uh, either our city staff, Director Mitchell is here, or for the representative from the developer? Commissioner Hess. Um, Mr. Wenzel, when do you see this project beginning should the funds come through the brownfield? When do you see the project beginning? Um, and this project start? Uh, the later, later summer or early fall. So we're working with, and we have worked with, with SHPO, the State Historic uh, uh, Organization, regarding the, what we're doing. You know, we're maintaining the, just so I didn't touch on that, but, um, but so we've worked through a lot of these um, items that need to be covered in advance and have that already uh, lined up. Uh, we are working with the State of Michigan because they're participating, the MEDC is participating with the Brownfield uh, capture and incentives. Um, and I, again, I should add, you know, without Brownfield and without other incentives, these projects wouldn't happen. Um, it's just, it's a necessity to, to, to make the numbers work. Thank you. Other questions from members of the commission? All right, thank you so much. Mr. Mitchell, any comments you want to make? I see here. Just, just real quick, um, it was brought up about the affordable housing um, and Mr. Wentz brought up the NEZ. Um, so um, one thing we were trying to do is add some additional incentives to uh, work with the numbers to bring up more affordable housing that hit the numbers that um, has been spoken about. Um, and as uh, Mr. Winston brought up, we're still in that discussion. And if that's a tool we can use, it'll come back. This project will come back to the commission for the NZ approval um, and talk about those additional affordable housing um, aspects that we're trying to add to this project. So it is being looked at, it is being worked on. Um, but as uh, Mr. Winston said, we got to um, see what works, um, what other possible tax and other incentives we can throw into, as I say, the package to get to the housing that we want to get to. Very helpful. I appreciate that, Mr. Yeah. Mitchell. Yeah. So seeing uh, no other questions for staff here, I will need a motion uh, to adopt a resolution approving an Act 381 Brownfield plan for the project at 203 North Rose. Is there a motion? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Hess. 
Support. Supported by Vice Mayor Cooney. Other discussion? Christian Pradle. I think we, we heard them speak about this, but you know, more and more with the current market conditions, I think we're gonna have to find you know, creative solutions to help people finance and get these, these uh, projects up and running. I mean, you know, as they described, I mean, the alternative is no project, right? And more housing units is better than no housing units. And obviously we wanna strive for as much uh, mixed income housing as we possibly can, but we also don't wanna lose on an opportunity to add 79 units to our downtown. Um, and you know, with high interest rates and the labor market being what it is and everything, we have, we have gotta get creative and innovative in terms of how we fund these, so. Thank you, Commissioner Pradle. Other discussion? Commissioner Hoffman. I, I do realize that we need housing at every level. Um, I long for the day when we will put um, low income, no income individuals and community members in, at the forefront. Um, we have people suffering. We have people suffering, so when we say, you know, um, it's 79 units, we, we might not get that. Like, we have people literally sleeping in the woods, people sleeping on concrete in the wintertime. And so we can do better. Grace Lubama talked about in the cow, like, we need to be more intentional, and we have the solution here. We all have the solution in this room. And so at, I know we need housing at every level. I wanna see prior, housing priorities that really reach deep to those individuals that are suffering in a way that is not always their fault. We have systems and policies that prohibit people from getting into housing. And I don't wanna see us change that. And we have less than three years to do that. Thank you, Commissioner Hoffman. Other Discussion. So the motion has been made and supported. Uh, public comment period's over. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, regular agenda. So anyone in the chambers wants to sp speak on this topic? No, all right. Thank you, Attorney Robinson, appreciate it. May I speak again then? Sure. Thank you, uh, everybody. Um, I understand, of course, the developer needs to make their pro forma work. And Brownfield money can only um, help with certain kinds of expenses. But I'm asking you to use all the creativity you've got among your, all the expertise on city staff to find other ways to help private developers lower costs for some of the units when they develop market rate and so-called attainable units. Um, you just passed a very strong budget on housing um, and we have other sources, perhaps the county millage, I'm not sure of the legality how that would work with private developers. But we need to put all of our thinking into how can we get some units at 60%, 50%, and 30% mixed income. Um, we have a long history of concentration of poverty and gentrification and 
exclusive housing. We don't need to do it that way. In fact, we need to reverse that long history of segregating. And I, I think you're the commission to do it. And the times are right. What are the tools that this, you have to give developers extra help to have a mixed income, truly mixed income with some of the units affordable to um, lower levels of uh, AMI than just 80%. We can, we can do that and you have uh, city staff with expertise in mixed income housing and it's been really successful in other places socially. Um, we would be the first in the state to, to do it well, maybe to do it at all, and it would be a really good thing for our community. So please look for the tools for that. Thank you very much. Any other comments? Any other discussion, Commission? So just a couple of comments I want to make is I appreciate that comment. Director Mitchell already alluded to another tool that's available, it's the neighborhood enterprise zone. That will have to come back to us. That is a, another way to provide uh, some assistance with the overall financing and cost of a project, which then would allow possibly some more affordable units. So uh, potentially that will be coming back to us uh, in terms of looking at those tools. And certainly there's nothing illegal about a private developer applying for millage funds as well. Many uh, private developers have applied to the millage for funding and received funding under uh, the, the, what happened last year and presumably that period of time is open to until February 17th for this year, it's the second year of the millage uh, to apply for funding for assistance. Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Thank you, Commissioners. The motion passes. Thank you very much. Manager Ritzma, reports and legislation. Yeah, um, I mentioned it earlier, but I'll officially uh, put the announcement out there that our City Commission 2023 retreat will be on February 18th, that's a Saturday. Um, we will be meeting at the Foundry, which is at 600 East Michigan Avenue. And the times are between 8.30 and 3.30 p.m. Thank you. Thank you. Just a reminder, that is an open meeting, correct? Anytime we meet? Yes. It's it an, open an open meeting, unless it's an official closed session or some other kind of particular unique activity. So uh, anyone is welcome there uh, at the Foundry and, and what time start? 8.30 a.m. 8.30 a.m., all right. There'll be uh, coffee and bagels and healthy stuff too. Thank you, Attorney Robinson. Uh, commission, I didn't anticipate still being employed with the city. On, on that date, and unfortunately, I have a nephew that's getting married in Illinois, so I will not be able to be at that meeting. I'm going to try to arrange someone from my office to be there in my stead. Thank you. Appreciate that. I appreciate that, Attorney Robinson. 
All right, now we are uh, at the opportunity for commissioner comments. Is there anyone who would like to? Commissioner Juarez, thank you. Jim, if you can get this mic fixed, you know, I'd appreciate, I'm just messing with you, man. Um, my, uh, some of you guys know my father passed away, and the support that was shown to me um, from many friends and family and community, and even you guys uh, up here, is very um, uh, encouraging. At the same time, it shows, like, the work you put into things and how much you know, you expect people to kind of love you the same way you love them, and it doesn't happen right away. But this is a testament to that, right? In those times where we need each other, um, I've seen uh, people just come and wrap around me and my family and support us. Um, the funeral was awesome. Uh, I, had, I had the opportunity to reside over it and, and to, um, to officiate it. Um, I'm one of ten boys and three sisters, and so it was it was really good to just be uh, an encouragement for my brothers, um, you know. And so I just wanted to give thanks to everybody who supported us and Kalamazoo, right? I mean, in my absence of some meetings and stuff like that, um, just you know, continue to keep praying um, for me and my family. And so I just wanted to thank everybody for that. Thank you, Commissioner. Vice Mayor Cooney, thank you. Um, I wanted to say that you did a wonderful job at the funeral, and your dad was certainly proud of you, as was your family. I just wanted to, uh, to say how happy I was about uh, what happened here at 5 o'clock, uh, to throw a spotlight on this issue of child care in the community and to give focus to that as a first step toward a universal childcare in Kalamazoo. Um, and, and just some of the things that were brought out, I just wanted to mention, um, I think Grace's, uh, Dr. LeBormont's uh, PowerPoint really put out some very important things that people need to know. Um, licensed programs in the Shared Prosperity Kalamazoo neighborhoods serve under 25% of the children age zero to five living there. Unlicensed and in-home providers in those areas um, provide the majority of the care in those communities, but don't get paid near what other people get. And childcare people get paid so much less Families cannot afford the cost of childcare, and the business model that we have for childcare is not sustainable. So, just a couple things like that that I think are important, and, and, and I believe that this will be the beginning of a campaign to try to move us towards this important thing and to be a national model in this area. I, you know, I teach courses on social policy, and it just happens that I'm teaching a class tomorrow on um, policy around children. And I think I just want to point out two things. One, there are only two countries in the world that have not signed 
the child compact that the UN has put out on the rights of the child. Only two countries in the world haven't signed that. One is Somalia, and you know who the other country is, us. We have not signed the, the rights of the children from the United Nations. The second thing I want to put at, plan out is that in studies that have been done by the OECD countries, the, that's, that's the studies of the 22 most wealthy countries in the world, and they rate them on different things. And in rating them on child, child well-being, the United States ranks 21 out of 22. So this is another example of how we don't care for our children. What we do is we have remedial stuff. When kids are in trouble, then we have little pieces to put them in there. But we don't, as a nation, put in there the supports that other nations feel so those kids don't get in trouble, so those kids don't hurt. So I think it's really important that we take this occasion, use the expertise and, and the tremendous resources we have in this community to set an example for the country about what our children deserve and help them to get that. Thank you, Vice Mayor Cooney, I appreciate it. Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you, I just wanna piggyback off of that and a statement that Kevin Ford, uh, Shared Pros Prosperity Kalamazoo coordinator said, children don't grow up in programs. They grow up in families and in communities. So when we think about the funding that we give, it's great, but we cannot rely on that to change lives and to change families. We, this will take all of us, all of community, all of government, all of philanthropy, all of healthcare, all of education for us to come in and begin to revitalize not only our communities and neighborhoods, but let's do something to start revitalizing and partnering with our families. It's so important that we look at all that is happening and all the, the social ills that we're going, going through right now. And housing is the foundation that is missing for so many people and families and children. Housing is not a desire or want or need. Housing is a human right. No matter who you are, no matter your circumstance, you deserve a safe place to call home that is affordable, that has supports, that's energy efficient. We must do better. Thank you, Commissioner Hoffman. Commissioner Hess. Um, briefly, because of <clears throat> the voice. Um, I, I will say the community, I love the word, and I've said it before, but community literally means to have charge of together. All of us, community, have charge of housing and our children together. Um, I wanna send gratitude out to Jamari Bogan and to his development project on Frank Street that uh, was just, uh, um, did uh, the groundbreaking on Friday. Um, I'm looking for amazing things to happen there on Frank Street with him. And we're so very grateful and blessed to have him have remained in our community since his graduation from Western Michigan. Um, earlier at the COW, um, we talked about education of children. Um, and then we heard in the report from Joe on the city survey about education in Kalamazoo. And Kalamazoo truly is this bastion of educational opportunities. 
I want to take one tonight um, and, and just briefly talk about it. Um, I had a meeting with, with our traffic engineer, Dennis Randolph, earlier today. And I was wondering from him, how do we work? How do, how can, what can we do to help slow traffic and calm traffic and reduce crashes and reduce fatalities in our city? Um, so that's the, uh, the educational that's the educational piece that we need to have. When we each get behind the wheel of a car, it is the most trusting thing we do. We trust that our neighbor and the person here and the person here and the person behind us is going to obey the laws the same as we do. It's the ultimate act of trust and community. So it will fall on us because what they're doing with roads is engineering calming. And I'm asking for the cities and for the residents' patience as they go through that process with building bike lanes, with building um, and, and doing road diets so people don't speed through our city. Um, and, and then also through the projects with Kalamazoo Avenue and Michigan Avenue to make sure that people can go out in the city on foot, on wheel, or in a car and be safe. Um, so we, we're looking for um, that it's safe for all, for bicycle and pedestrian friendly, that traffic is slowed. Again, it's probably a difference between three and five minutes if we go 30 miles an hour instead of 50, um, getting from one side of the street, or one side of the city to the other. Um, per perpetual goal of zero fatalities in our city um, and crashes on our roads. So please slow down, please pay attention, please obey the traffic signs, and please trust your neighbor. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hess. Commissioner Pradle. What would you do some night if I said no comment? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could take it. I know, yeah. Um, so for, first off, I just wanted to say, you know, just think, continuing to think of you and your, your loved ones, Esto, um, you presided over that whole service, but it was like abundantly clear that you are the glue of your, your family, you know, and, uh, you know, just the amount of work and thought you put into celebrating your dad was, uh, was just amazing to see. And so, um, continuing to keep you in our thoughts. Just want to take a minute to just speak to that community survey. We, we heard a report on tonight and, uh, and just let the community know that, uh, you know, it, it is a little disheartening when you see some metrics where you know that people are working so hard day in and day out that maybe don't rise to the level that you want them to be. But that does not mean that we're not going to, you know, examine them closely and then we're going to tackle them head on. And I think you have a group of people up here and the people who, who work on our behalf in the, in the city, in city hall that want to get it right and, you know, want to knock those numbers out of the park. And, um, you know, in 2022, it was amazing to see that the ARPA survey and the last survey results were used in our retreat to guide all the work that we've done uh, over the year plus. And we're going to continue to do that again uh, on February 18th. So we're going to, you know, dive into that and figure out what areas we really want to focus and hone on and, and improve. And, and, and we're going to do it. We're, we'll we'll, uh, we'll tackle it head on. Uh, also, just wanted to make sure to give a shout out to uh, former Representative John Holdley. Um, he was uh, appointed last week by Governor Whitmer to serve on the WMU Board of Trustees, which is a, a huge deal, and um, I congratulate him on that. And then lastly, just wanted to, to echo my colleagues talking about early childhood. 
I don't think we, we quite even realize how much of a consequential issue that is that's facing our community. You know, it involves our young people, which to me, you know, their well-being and their, and, uh, is, is a true litmus of, of, of our society at whole. But it also is a key to economic mobility for so many people in our community. And, uh, you know, when we see our high poverty rates or the number of people who are living uh, in, in Alice thresholds and the impacts that were done by the pandemic, this is something that's actually tangible that we can move our community forward and you know, give, the, give our young people the support they need to be successful on all measures in life and help their parents uh, achieve uh, the economic mobility that they want and deserve in life. Um, you know, it was a spectacular presentation. If you didn't get a chance to watch it, I encourage you to, to, to tune in and check it out. But I also wanted to make sure to thank um, uh, Chief Operating Officer Laura Lamb as well, because she worked really hard to bring that whole presentation together. And it was just like, I mean, dynamo. If you could fit and encapsulate everything you want the public to know in just like a one-hour presentation, it was, it was knocked out of the park. So congratulations on that as well. That's all I have for tonight. Thank you, Commissioner Prado. Appreciate that. Uh, just to reach out to my friend here, so that, that was a meaningful event that uh, you provided me the honor of participating in, and uh, your contribution, I think, is what made it meaningful. So I really, it was obvious you'd put effort and thought and care and heart into that, and I felt like, you know, for a moment, I was, I was there part of your extended family, which is, I could probably get lost in the crowd with, you know, all, all those brothers and sisters and, and uh, and kids in the room there too. So I appreciate getting to spend that time with you and your family. Thank you. Uh, some of the things we've been talking about, obviously housing, affordable housing, and this was mentioned already, but several of us, I, I know Vice Mayor, uh, Commissioner uh, Chris Pradle and I were able to attend the groundbreaking over on Frank Street. Uh, what was it, about 12 degrees maybe? And was it, yeah, felt like that. Uh, luckily, no one uh, went on for 20 minutes. Uh, thank you, Manager for keeping your comments relatively short and uh, filling the gap on some things I forgot. Uh, but I, I don't want to, to go by an event like that and forget how important it is, even though it's one little piece of this bigger need that we're talking about, that there are positive things happening. This is uh, Jamari Bogan, who's a part of the new generation of de developers here in Kalamazoo. We're talking about housing with some affordability, but also we're talking about a daycare center there uh, managed by the YMCA. And, and I, one of the things that was most profound to me, I'd say there are about 150 people there, as cold as it was, a a very, a varied cross-section of people from, you know, developers, you know, who've been very, very successful to people with dreams about their own businesses, uh, all the way across the board. And to me, if we can take a group like that, everyone showed up because they care about the city of Kalamazoo and their supportive of that kind of endeavor. And there are people there who would spend serious time mentoring this new young developer here in town, reached out individually in their private lives to do that. If we can continue to take that kind of focus and caring, you know, we can do it. And 
it was, it was heartwarming to be there, actually, despite how cold it was. And I, and I didn't stick around for long afterwards, but uh, looking forward to, to that coming up out of the ground. Just last I want to say is that, you know, it's always a, a challenge, I guess, uh, when you get feedback in terms of a survey report and, and it makes you concerned, you know, are, are we not doing a good enough job? Well, what can we do? And I know that our commitment up here is just trying to do the best we can for this community. And we'll take that as a learning, but I also want to make sure that our team, who do this work every day, 40 and more hours a week. We were talking about our chief who's here tonight, public services director, manager Risma, Rebecca Kick, can't see everybody, uh, parks director behind the sneeze guard, I guess. Anyway, the city team that actually has to take our dreams and visions and turn them into reality, thank you. Means a lot. I love you, Kalamazoo. We're adjourned.